I think we're saying enough with that and let's hype other women. Because so often in the past, we were rooted in competition with each other and we are making enough seats at the table to be able to not have competition. It's not a zero sum game and we got to act like that. There's so much power in our collective. We just need to honor it and leverage it and do it. Welcome. You're on air with Ella, where we share simple strategies and tips from people who are doing something better than we are. Whether it's wellness or relationships to just living better and with more energy, or changing your mindset to accomplish more in your own life and succeeding however you define it. This is where we share the best of what we're learning from the experts, and we're learning more every day. Live better, start now. Let's go. Hey, you're on air with Ella, and today it is my pleasure to introduce you to Ellen Tafe. Hey, Ellen, how are you? I'm great. How are you doing, Ella? I'm excited because I was just talking about you. I was talking with Dr. Kinga Manish, and we were talking about women in business. We were talking about the glass ceiling, and I mentioned you and a concept I had never heard before called the mirrored door, and you wrote, you literally wrote the book about it, and I am so pleased to have you on to talk about it. But Ellen, before we even jump in, would you kindly tell us who you are and what you do? Sure. So my name is Ellen Tafe, and I had a 25-year corporate career working for major companies like PepsiCo, Royal Caribbean, Whirlpool. And since that time, I have run a small business for five years. I'm a speaker and now an author. And I, um, in the last seven years, I'm a clinical associate professor at the Kellogg School of Management, where I teach leadership and run the Women's Leadership Program. I would love for you to explain to us, let's not even assume that everybody has the same definition of the glass ceiling. Would you mind taking us back to glass ceiling 101 and get some definitions on the table? What is the glass ceiling? And relative to that, what is your concept of the mirrored door when it comes to women in business? Sure. So the glass ceiling was a a metaphor for how women can rise in an organization, but then they they hit a ceiling, they hit a, a place, an obstacle that they can't go farther than. And it can be in all different kinds of industries or types of careers. So you, so you had to hit a limit at the uppermost part of your career. And um, my metaphor of the mirror door is something that happens far before that, uh, that you have to get through to get to the glass ceiling. And it's this moment that many of us encounter where we see, we have an opportunity in front of us and we reflect inward and hesitate and think we're not ready or worthy and have this ingrained, sometimes distorted view. And we busy ourselves doing things that have worked in the past instead of opening that door. We think it's a wall we can't get through sort of opening that door and moving through, realizing that all the growth is on the other side of action. All the growth is on the other side of action. That is something that we talk about a great deal on this show, Ellen, in many, many different arenas. And I want to welcome everybody to the table for this conversation, because in my opinion, 
to benefit from some of the principles that you share, Ellen, you don't actually have to be a woman leader in business. Quite frankly, you need to be a person who wants to continue to grow beyond their self-limiting beliefs. And I'm going to share a little bit more. I'm going to expound upon the mirrored door concept using your own words and By doing so, I hope to invite everyone to this table. And I'm quoting Miss Ellen here. The mirror door is what makes us reflect inward and question our readiness. The mirror door is our own self-criticism and doubt that stands between us and the future we desire. It obstructs our view of what's beyond us and tricks us into believing our limiting self-perceptions. This leads to overthinking and frequently underacting. Ellen, I know you specialize in the world of management and business, but I see this for all women. I totally agree with you. I I think that, you know, so much of it comes from how we were raised. I love that you and Kinga talked about this in in that past episode, that, that it becomes ingrained some of these behaviors that help us, but they also can hurt us too. They can hold us back. You heard in that episode with Dr. Kinga Manish, you heard us touch on confidence briefly. You have something to say about confidence that I would love to share, and that is courage comes before confidence. Can you please explain why courage must precede confidence? We need to tap into our courage to move into action. And when we do, We learn what it's like to win or to achieve something. We learn what it's like to fail and realize that we we didn't lose everything. We failed, we learned. And it's that courage that moves us into action in the face of uncertainty that makes us stronger, makes us more formidable, and makes us more confident. So I I work with so many women, either through coaching or students or, or peers or myself on this search for confidence. And I actually think the thing that we can, we have at our disposal, we have a rich reservoir of courage just by being women in this world or women in business or being a mom, like all the different things, we have this courage and that's what we need to tap into to take action. And confidence is really the outcome. It's the only part that I had a little, you know, a different point of view, I would say, um, relative to Kinga. Yeah, I agree with you. I think confidence is output from a series of behaviors and beliefs or actions anyway, that you attempt. I think that a lot of women, and this isn't even really gendered, I just can't speak for men. So I think a lot of women sometimes see other women who show up with confidence, who show up with presence, and they're like, I wish I had some of that. And if we're here to like debunk one myth, to me, it would be that. Confidence is not something you're necessarily born with. It is an outcome. It is the output of actions that you take. And those actions are available to you, to every single person listening. Confidence is, it is a result, not a prerequisite. 100%. Okay, Ellen, talk to me about some of the strategies that are important to you that you say help women succeed, but also unintentionally sideline them. I find this paradox so interesting. You talk about behaviors that have helped us get to a certain place that can also detract. Can you share some of those? Sure. So 
I have identified five of them in their preparing to perfection, eagerly pleasing, fitting the mold, working pedal to the metal, and performing patiently and waiting for others to notice and reward us. And they are all things that work for us until they don't, until they work against us. Oh, I want to deep dive with you. (laughs) Where shall we start? Let's talk about preparing for perfection. Preparing to perfection uh, has some real power to it. We deliver in an excellent way. We are counted on for that. And we don't take risks because we have counted on all the hours of preparation to make sure we show up perfectly, we deliver whatever that is, our work project or or whatever we are working on, we deliver that perfectly. But, But what happens is over time, we grow in our careers or in our lives and expectations rise. We have to move faster. We have to decide faster. We have to take risks. And what happens is it creates a lot of stress for us personally when we have to decide with less information, when we have to take a risk, because that's inherent to, to leadership. You just have to decide with the information that you have. That's very stressful. And if we hesitate at that moment, we can be seen as that person who does all the work so well, where the worker be, you know, the person we want on the team, but not the person leading the team. And so we have to adapt and understand that the more time we have in our careers, the higher we go, we have to be able, we we know more than we realize to be able to make decisions, to be able to delegate. Uh, And one of the pivots from this is really to to ask for help in the forms of delegation, in the forms of talking to whoever our stakeholders are, clarifying, these are the things I'm going to deliver perfectly. Does it work for you if I just deliver a rough draft here versus delivering everything with this exceptional way and, and burning ourselves out as well? I mean, we could do an entire show (laughs) on not letting perfect be the enemy of good. Uh, Something you just connected for me is tying this to agility and risk and having a tolerance for risk. Because I oftentimes think somewhat critically about our tendency toward perfection and how we hide behind perfection because, I mean, that's a bar that's never met. So it's a great noble excuse for not getting the thing done in a certain way, right? But what you've just revealed to me is a totally different angle and equally as useful, and that is that it will reduce your appetite for risk. It will reduce your agility. It will reduce your speed because you are waiting for it to be perfect. That is a great worker bee quality sometimes until it's not. And it is not a great leadership quality or management quality. Okay. We're underlining that one. Let's talk. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about number two, which is eager to please. Probably no one can relate to this. I can't relate to that either. Uh, not not true. Being eagerly pleasing uh, is, is really this wonderful quality of being other-oriented, reading the room, being the glue that holds the team together, uh, keeping the peace, helping groups function really well, whether it's our family or, or a, a work team. The pitfall comes here when 
we neglect ourselves in the equation and have swung the balance too far over to all about everyone else. And, and what happens is when we're in that mode, it can lead us to not address conflict, to avoid setting boundaries. What underlying that sometimes is that we feel taken advantage of or just assume that we will always pick up the slack or those kinds of things. So there's there's an internal turmoil that comes with it. Externally, we can be perceived as too soft. Everyone loves to work for this person, but can she really make the tough decisions? Can Can she address the difficult people issues or things like that? How have you coached women to take this eagerness to please and accommodate and serve and be empathetic and qualities that are beautiful, but how have you coached women to move from there into more of a leadership position, which seeks to be respected, which seeks to lead uh, over their desire to please? What does that transition look like for someone? Great question. And and I think part of it is setting the context of what's needed in the business world and, and in any kind of leadership role, where today what is needed is people who can take care and take charge. You know, it used to be a command and control and, and still is in a few places, this very hierarchical thing. But we need, certainly we need controls and and sometimes to be commanding, but also we need this this wonderful skill of empathy and, and these traits. We just, we need them in a way that enables us to do both, take care and take charge. This is an area where really setting boundaries is going to be so, so important. And that's where, you know, some of the, the simplest ways of setting boundaries and doing it in the smallest of ways to build the muscle of saying no and understanding that's a complete sentence. No, I can't do this and not get into no, because I have this going on. And, you know, like all the different things that sometimes we find ourselves feeling guilty. So we address a conflict and then go, we kind of lose our power when we go into like all the reasons why that's less important than you're setting the boundary and then you are collaborating how that person can can do make other choices. Yeah, one of my favorite sentences to teach uh, people at sort of the mid-management level where they have they have a couple layers from the top, right? One of my favorite sentences to teach them to add to their toolkit is I am currently at capacity, which priority would you like me to change in order to prioritize this? No is a full sentence, and a lot of people don't feel like they have that at their disposal. So that is a slightly longer way of saying, no, I cannot do that. Hey, it's me. Do you mind leaving a review for the show wherever you're listening? Like they're great in Apple Podcasts. It's probably the number one place, but I honestly, I don't care. Wherever you're listening to this, whatever app you're using, do you mind leaving a review? It helps me so much. It's like leaving a tip in the tip jar, but it's free. Okay, thanks. So we have talked about preparing for perfection and letting that tendency go. We've talked about letting the tendency go of being eager to please and possibly replacing that with a desire to be respected and taken seriously in a leadership role. Let's talk about the desire to fit the mold. What do you mean by that in the business sense, Ellen? 
Yeah, so it, it's a strategy that many of us do uh, and live with. It, it helps us to enter into new organizations or teams with a lot of ease. We can read the culture and do what we think is successful here, which is a great thing. We all want to be accepted and belong. The pitfall comes when we end up feeling like we are not showing our our real self or we're holding back on our opinions or showing showing up in a way that is more true to us. And what that can lead to from an individual standpoint is is it can see doubt where you think, did they really hire me for the real me? Because I haven't shown them that. And the organization misses the real opinions and ideas that you have too. So over time, it becomes worse as you you can feel like, yeah, I fit in, I match the culture, but they don't really know the real me. This is really an area where the, the pivot is sort of figuring out how can you show a bit more of you and also what are you up for? So for example, I have someone shared with me that she was trying to figure out in her organization as a woman of color, can she wear her natural hair? So so there are different aspects, whether they're visible or not, about our ourselves that we sort of struggle. We want to fit in, but then we might be holding back. And you got to think about what are you up for? Are you willing to, to be a pioneer? Are you willing to try to change some of the culture and change the thinking there? Or are you not up for that and you want to look for it elsewhere? An example that springs to mind for me is, and this is a bit oblique, but there's a language to business, right, Ellen? Like there's a vernacular that is specific to different industries, but certainly just in the corporate world, especially I'm thinking like high finance, right? And in yeah. corporate terms around finance and that sort of thing. And there is a whole vocabulary out there that I think was designed just to be like a finance bro. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> and I made a decision. It was sometime around the age of like 45. Okay. And I was like, I have earned the right to speak like a normal person. I reject your vernacular. I'm not going to use multisyllabic words where a normal word will do. I don't need to impress you. I don't need to use your language to show that I fit in with you. In fact, communication and clarity is extremely important to me. So I'm going to speak the way that is natural to me and in a way that will be understood rather than in a way that will separate me from the masses, so to speak. Now, again, this is a, a slightly oblique reference, but anyone who knows will know. Yes. <laughs> and I also stopped sort of burying my sense of humor and allowed myself to be like more me in business environments. And I'll tell you something like, it's not for everybody. And I wouldn't, to, to use your language, I wasn't up for that when I was 25 and trying to hustle and try and prove myself and trying to be taken seriously as a 25-year-old woman in the business world. But at 45, yeah, I think I can let a little bit of my true colors show, a lot of it of my true colors show, and then find the right environments in which to operate, which is a real privilege and something that I hope we start to see more of, I think I am, Ellen, I suspect you are too, starting to see women no longer trying to fit the navy blue corporate mold, but be willing to show up as our very powerful and impressive selves. I love that because you also showed the way for other women and men, like regardless of gender, you showed through humor or, or just being yourself, you showed that that 
that can be successful here too. I worked in one organization where all the senior women, I say all, there weren't that many, um, but like both. All, all, all wore the designer, you know, St. John suits and they looked great. It's just sort of not how I'm going to show up. And I can remember hearing from other women in the organization, you make me feel like I can succeed here too. The antidote to fitting the mold is model the way. Love it. Okay. Let's talk about number four, working pedal to the metal. And I think many, many, many people can relate to this. You have to gun it so hard to get ahead and no one ever tells you the day it's acceptable to let your foot off the gas just a little bit. And what I see time and time again, Ellen, is I see people's bodies telling them before their mind catches up. We just work so freaking hard to get where we are and we don't get the memo that that's a curve and it, it can slow down and we can balance out a little bit. So many women's bodies will tell them before their minds will. Something shuts down, something breaks, something doesn't feel right. They just completely physically, mentally, and spiritually totally burn out and then they reevaluate. Is there a better way? Yes, the pause. <laughs> so working pedal to the metal, it's kind of obvious what it is, but it's someone with high capacity, you know, working tirelessly. And, and you're right, they burn out. So, so there's a personal toll to this that is generally burnout. There is also sometimes we're gunning it so far when we use this strategy that we are not bringing others along with us. And when we leave our team in the dust, it's sometimes we've been so goal focused, we haven't stepped back that. So it's a pause for yourself, but it's also a pause to step back and align with your team, get to know them. And sometimes with this also, this is where bias comes in because sometimes there's a, a number of people who are not used to a woman in that gunning it mode before she has done all the warm connecting and all, all that is sort of indicative of what's expected of our gender. And so this one, uh, you know, we do it, we get all the goals and all those kinds of things, but we can suddenly find ourselves without the followership that comes behind us and then also with our own burnout. So I think there is a, a pause for yourself. This is another area of learning to delegate, letting go so that you're uh, developing others, but pause for yourself and adding in the self-care that you, so, you talk about so much in your program, but, but stepping back to get to know the team and sharing the why, why you're doing what you're doing, sharing your intention so that others don't assume negatively because you, you have focused on the goals and have not sort of stepped back to be more of the relationship builder that is so often expected of women. I think it's deeply ironic that I overlooked this layer, which I read about in your book. The reason I think that's so funny is because that's me. So in the business environment, I was all pedal to the metal, pedal to the metal, and I would just get stuff done. And when you don't pick up the hearts and minds of the team and bring them along with you, then you're saying it more gently than I would. <laughs> 
but they, <laughs> they come to assumptions or they make assumptions that are not necessarily yeah. true. Isn't it so ironic that sometimes we're penalized for being too empathetic and too, I don't know, I don't, nice. I don't want to say the word emotional, but yeah, like not, yeah. nice with softer skills. Yeah. And then other times, if we just go, 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 and we skip the, the communication and the team building and the consensus building, that's also a bear trap. Do you find that we chronically are either too empathetic or too much like a bull in a china shop? Like, tell me about the experience that led you yeah. to, to make this your fourth tenant. Yes, it's a bummer. I say to my students, I'm not here to depress you, but I knowledge is power. And when we understand the world that is, we can go create the world that we want to. But this was one that I, I see this pattern of, I'm doing everything right. I am delivering so much stuff. How do I get the team? How do I rally the team? And so I wish the world was different, but it does take sort of stepping back. Um, there's a, a story in the book of a professor I know who knows that she's susceptible to being called the B word because of how aggressively she teaches and calls on students and calls them out. And she op now opens up her class and says, I'm probably going to be the toughest teacher that you'll ever have but I'm here to make you the best at this skill. You're going to know this stuff like no other uh, of your peers when you get out there. And so she's sort of sharing her intention and kind of doing an offset. So it's important that we share who we are in particular, if we're the hard charging type uh, or use that strategy that, that comes naturally. You know, for many of us, I would say I have felt all these things at some time in my career. I probably lean more towards the perfection pleasing, but I've had a time where I've been working pedal to the metal and, you know, wake up and find I'm grinding my teeth. And my doctor says, so what should I do? And my doctor says, get a new boss, <laughs> you know, and I did. Okay, let's get that fifth <laughs> one on the table. And it is a little bit like it's a little bit counterintuitive almost to this conversation, because this is about being almost overly patient, if you will. So you say yeah. that another pitfall is patiently performing and waiting to be noticed. I have seen this in my lifetime. Tell me a story about this. Yes. Yeah, so this is the delivering results and, and believing you'll be taken care of and believing that the decision maker or makers know what you're doing, know how good you are, and and have that in mind. And the reality is the boss is too busy. They they know, uh, you know, they're busy. They may not know everything you've accomplished. And this is, I think, rooted in this feeling of, I, I don't want to be seen as too pushy or having some sort of ingrained rule or message about self-promotion. And the real pivot here is to understand collaborative career planning. Uh, you know, your boss needs to know and hear from you. And it, so it, it helps your boss who needs to, who's responsible for your development but you also need to realize that the squeaky wheel gets the grease a lot of times. So I've seen this from so many, in particular women that have worked for me when I was in corporate America. And it's really important that you, you need to send up a sign about, you know, what's at stake, what's your intention here and have tap into your courage to have conversations 
that share, here's what I've accomplished, here's what I want to do, and get into conversation of feedback to understand how does that match you know, your expectations with theirs and their feedback? What gaps do you need to close? And how do you negotiate? This is anecdotal evidence only, but in my experience, women struggle with self-promotion to a larger degree than men do. Um, in fact, yes. I don't see men struggling with self-promotion the majority of the time. <laughs> 100% agree. I think we've probably all come to an understanding as to what sort of our, our, our previous experiences, our childhood experiences. You know, I think we can all sort of intuit at this point what might have led to our reluctance toward self-promotion. And again, I am not, I do not mean to paint everybody with the same brush, but one tool that I have found again in my mentoring and my coaching relationships, one tool that I have employed with some success, Ellen, is just sharing with people, stop making this about you. So stop making the self-promotion about you and make the self-promotion about what is good for the business. And that is more comfortable. So an example would be, Hey boss, I've done this, this, and this, and I've delivered these results for the business. Does this align with your expectations? That's not, Hey, look at me. Look at me. Look at me. That is a business conversation about what the, what was accomplished and what is still needed. Another angle here is you are making your boss's job easier when you provide her with what you have done when it was done and what results it delivered. So if you're doing that in the form of a weekly update or a quarterly review, you are doing your boss a favor to recap the results that you have provided for the business. Ellen, do you agree or disagree? I agree. I mean, that's what I like. It, it's a normal business conversation. It is career planning. That is a two-sided street or two-way street, I should say. Okay. You shared two more concepts in your book that I'm dying to get on the table, Ellen. And one is you talk about our inner protagonista, our inner protagonist. The inner protagonista, I'm assuming, is the antidote to our ever-present inner critic. Yes. We all have this inner critic. And when we understand like what are the greatest hits what's on replay in our, what I call the inner antagonist, we can pair that with a protagonist voice to lower the volume on the critical voice. If I am thinking, who am I to write a book? Maybe my protagonist voice is, I have a message to share that could make an impact. And that's truly, I, I, I face that myself. So then if that's my mindset, what actions would the protagonist say? You know, what actions would I take? So I go just from my thinking and my mindset to what actions should I take? So the actions I might take are getting on Ella's podcast, posting on LinkedIn to get the word out. Not that it's not hard for me to do that and that I don't want to be showy or be the braggart that my mom warned me against, but that that's sort of stepping into the protagonist role. And I call it a protagonista. And part of that is to, to put a feminine, a heroine flair on the idea of protagonist that we have too often been either taught or step into the supporting player role. And we really need to be the center of our own story. That's my sort of call to step into that. 
I love the idea of saying, what would my inner protagonist say? Because my inner critic doesn't need any prompting. My inner critic is, she is at the ready. She is locked and loaded at any time. So if I'm going to allow for that, and frankly, that voice is never going away. To me, being a full-grown adult is just learning how to control your inner critic's volume and just having your finger on the volume button so that my inner critic isn't running my life and I can turn that volume down or challenge it. But to actually force yourself, do you do this as a mental exercise, Ellen, or do you do this like in a, as a journaling exercise? I think you can do it either way. But the important thing is, how do you go back to it? How do you say it? So for some people, that might be a post-it on your monitor or on your mirror that is, uh, to use my example, I have a message to share that can have impact. You have to do some things to disrupt your critical voice. But I think, I mean, I am a believer in writing things down, but I think like ways that you can trigger yourself whether it's a post-it or, or something else, or just saying it to yourself. But it's, it's a process. It's a discipline of doing that. Tell me what you think about this. One of the ways I'm trying to develop that muscle for myself is by doing something that comes much more naturally to me, and that is to do it for other women. So my goal in life is to be one of those women that says, hey, Ellen, I'm really seeing what you're doing on LinkedIn, and it is so professional and it is so on point. And being a hype woman and calling out other women's successes is so much easier than being my own protagonist. But it is developing that muscle. And then the challenge for me is to allow myself that same grace and to practice those same skills with myself. Do you see a correlation between being a great hype woman and developing your own muscles to therefore celebrate your own successes? I would like to say yes and to that so that you're also taking, I loved how you said giving yourself that grace because that's what we don't do with the inner critic. That's the harsh voice. So this idea of grace to others and acknowledgement of others, I would just also hope that as you do that, you will get some of that reflected back. I hope you also do that for yourself. Today's episode is brought to you by a listener and their five-star review. Five stars from Donna who says, Ella gets the best guests. I find her podcast so informative and interesting. These seriously make my day. Thank you and keep up the great work. You touch so many people in a positive way. I share this podcast with everyone. Thanks for all that you do. Okay, last concept, Ellen, is you talk about what happens when we dethrone the queen bee in a work environment. I am dying for you to share this concept. I hear this from so many women. How do I handle difficulty working for a woman or working with another woman? And I'm just sick of it. And I think we're all sick of it. And so we got to not give that airtime. Do you mean that they are acting like it is more difficult to work with women? Yes, sometimes I do hear that. I wish I heard a lot less of that. And it's particularly mentioned by gender. We all have had tough bosses. But I think when that tough boss is a woman, sometimes we ascribe other motives. And so it's important to understand, are we biased against a woman should be easier or nicer, all that? So some of it's our own check in on that. And then I've also seen some women be harder on a woman to help her handle what it's going to take. So on both sides, we really have to sort of uncover what are the underlying motivations or assumptions? Are we treating the people that 
work for us or that we work for in a different way. We would call out bias if it was a man doing this. What I am seeing so many examples, just like you and the organizations that you're a part of, I think we're saying enough with that and let's hype other women. And and as you have shared, it helps you to step into that protagonista role, but it, it helps other women to be seen and to celebrate them. Because I think it's so often in the past, we were rooted in competition with each other and we are making enough seats at the table to be able to not have competition. It's not a zero sum game and we got to act like that. And I get that it used to be. I hear that. I see that. I recognize that it used to be. There used to be a pie. And so if she took a slice, that means one less slice for you. And I truly believe that where we have not busted that, where we have not completely eradicated that, we can right now. Like, I I don't believe that's the world that we live in anymore. I think cooperation and collaboration is 10x more powerful than the individualistic, you know, drive toward my own personal success. What is more powerful than intelligent, inherently powerful women coming together and working toward a common goal? I mean, I believe it so strongly. I've seen it. I've witnessed it. I know what it feels like. And, and then I kind of feel like, well, that's why systems were put in place is because we're really powerful when we work together. Like I get why people wouldn't want us to. <laughs> I love that. I love that. There's so much power in our collective. We just need to honor it and leverage it and do it. Ellen, I cannot thank you enough for your time and for your book. And I hope you change lives with this book. I hope you do workshops around this book. The book is called The Mirror Door. I will link to it in the show notes. And Ellen, where do you like to be found? LinkedIn or my website, ellentafe.com. I have a couple free goodies on there as well. Ellen, we will make it super easy to find you. Thank you for everything that you do. Thank you. So glad to talk to you today, Ellen. Okay, I hope you enjoyed today's show and got something out of it that you can use. If you did and you want to learn more, just head over to onairella.com where I put up links to all of the stuff that you did not need to write down today because I got you covered. There's no with. It's just onairella.com. Thanks for listening. Thanks for sharing the show. And thanks for inspiring me. You are quite simply awesome.